Hi everyone, it's Chris Lasarenko from Revolutions Per Movie. The show is a completely independent affair, so if you feel like supporting the show, the best way is to go over to patreon.com slash revolutionspermovie, where in exchange for your support, you can get weekly bonus Revolution Per Movie episodes, stickers, membership cards, upcoming guests include Anne Magnuson of Bong Water, Bob Burt of Sonic Youth and Pussy Galore, Jerry Casali of Devo, and Homer Flynn of the Cryptid Corporation representing the band The Residents. So please consider supporting the show over at patreon.com slash revolutionspermovie. And thank you everyone for listening. Enjoy the show. My guest this week is Vera Drew, a genuine multi-hyphenate. Vera is an accomplished filmmaker and actor who came up in TV post-production. Once known in her alternative comedy circle as an editor that thinks like a writer, she expertly edited and contributed visual effects to dozens of iconic comedy TV shows, including Check It Out with Dr. Steve Brule, The Birthday Boys, Craft Punk's Political Party, Season 2 of I Think You Should Leave, three seasons of Comedy Bang Bang on IFC, and On Cinema at the Cinema, which she later went on to direct Season 12. Having honed her skills at Tim and Eric's Absolutely Productions, a company known for incubating some of the industry's most unique editors, Vera's talent was recognized by the Television Academy in 2019 when she was nominated for an Emmy for her work on Sasha Baron Cohen's Who is America? That same year, she launched Tim and Eric's streaming TV network, for which she wrote and directed four series and hours of original content. Most recently, Vera finished her first feature film, The People's Joker, a queer coming-of-age comic book parody that premiered at TIFF in fall of 2021, to critical acclaim and minor controversy. A proud trans woman born and raised in the south suburbs of Chicago, she's been making funny, spooky, and or queer short films and music videos for most of her life. And she's currently writing her next feature film and trying to free the people's Joker. And it is my great pleasure to welcome the revolutions per movie, Vera Drew. Hi, Vera. Hey, Chris. How are you? I'm great. Welcome, fellow allergy sufferer to our world of commonality it's amazing yeah. to meet a fellow sufferer thank you for having me and yeah like normally i wouldn't have a cough drop in my mouth uh while recording a podcast <laughs> but hey everybody's gonna just have to suffer through some clicks uh. that's right i i first started seeing your name on you know a lot of the tim and eric stuff beef house and all the stuff for channel five and your amazing work, you directed season 12 of On Cinema at the Cinema. I want to show you here that I am able oh. to talk about this with you because I am an actual, a certified film buff. <laughs> I have my certificate of expertise from, from that season. That was such an amazing little Easter egg that you threw in there. Thank you. How did you come to be in that world of, of working at Absolutely? You know, it's it's so funny because I... I don't really quite know. I know how I how I landed there, but how I was able to like stay and, and kind of like have a career there is still like it just feels so weird to even think right. about in retrospect because it just kind of happened. Like I was really into um experimental film uh when I was in college. Like it was really kind of the only film I was into in college right. to some extent just cuz I was a pretty angry a uh, young person and uh like experimental film just felt like a space where like 
you know, I, I knew I had wanted to make movies like from the time I was like six years old. Like I knew I was a filmmaker before uh, I knew I was a girl. And I um, got so excited about like experimental film and mixed media and animation and stuff in college in this way. And also had been doing comedy for years. Like I, I started doing comedy when I was 13, which wow, you should never let your kids start doing <laughs> comedy that young. Uh, uh. Otherwise they end up making the people's joker. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like I, so I was just kind of a jaded little artist and uh, that coincided with Tim and Eric's awesome show sort of starting to get really popular on adult swim. And sort of discovering that was like oh my god like so there's people doing all this experimental like video art stuff but on this like with fart jokes and like goo and you know weird dad humor and like song and and very like authentic style parodies like it it kind of was just this um flash of inspiration for me because i saw genre and experimentation and comedy all kind of rolled into one right and i hated film school <laughs> like i really i did not i mean i enjoyed Excellent. having access to film equipment sure <laughs> but i mostly learned how to roll joints there and like i was you know as like my graduation date kind of was encroaching i thankfully got uh into like an internship program just because you know i had a few professors that um appreciated how much of like a freak uh weirdo I was and yeah. we're like okay let's send her to LA and um I quickly realized like I don't even know what an internship is let alone like where I would want to have one um so I just called I like I google searched absolutely productions and uh found a phone number got on the phone with a guy named John Roig who was a a, a production assistant there and now is uh one of the executive producers at Adult Swim he uh, was a producer on Decker as well. Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, it was basically just like, hey, I'm coming to L.A. Can I come work for you guys? And he was <laughs> like, yeah, uh, that's perfect timing because we have two pilots that are about to go into production. One of them is something called The Eric Andre Show. And then the other one is something called Comedy Bang Bang. Oh, and we just finished <laughs> a pilot that we need post-production help on called Nathan for you uh oh that's kind God. of like a weird reality show so it was like and you know these are all meaningless titles to me at this point right. but like I I get in there and then it's like oh I'm getting in right when like alternative comedy is starting to become this thing that you know uh these horrible giant mega corporations are spending <laughs> a lot of money on for some reason <laughs> and uh yeah from there just kind of climbed the internship ladder and slowly became an editor and then ultimately uh a producer and director and writer there and um yeah just kind of they, they couldn't really get rid of me <laughs> so much of their stuff the humor comes through the edit do you bring your own sense of style of how you edit to it or is there kind of a world that you have to work in there are there are definitely lines you, you're supposed to color in there it's like an ephemeral voice that you're kind of orbiting around okay. I think when you're doing anything in in like Tim and Eric world or absolutely world or everything is terrible or any of these kind of um 
you know, Wham City Comedy, I never worked with them, but like knowing their work too, like it's kind of all hovering around this same like indescribable feeling, I think, of kind of just being a latchkey kid in the 90s and growing up on public access and VHS, kind of seeing where like certain sensibilities that have been like politicized are just hypocritical. So I think we're all kind of playing with that. I think I'm still playing with that. I think like my movie, like the People's Joker uh, is definitely unpacking a lot of that. And like, I think going into that world, you know, I was a fan of Doug Lusenhop, you know, from from day one. (laughs) Like, and, and, you know, he's from Chicago as well. And like, just as a video artist is, is one of the most unsung heroes of all time. And Absolutely uh, true. it all, you know, it all kind of does, I think in terms of like my voice as an editor, it does definitely come from, from that sort of pace that he set uh, that other guys like uh, Daniel Hayworth, uh, Mike Giambra, Bill Benz, Dan Longino, like the, the kind of original absolutely editors, uh, all really did kind of establish this thing. I think what I bring to it that that definitely has always felt like mine, and I feel like I I can see in, in stuff like Beef House or uh, in the season of On Cinema where I directed is, I, I think I... I don't want to say that I'm the person that introduced sincerity to that world, <laughs> but I think it, I was one it. of the people. Yeah, I was one of the people that w- that was able to help that that transition. And I and you know, like I I can't take the full credit because I think a lot of that also came from Eric Nartarnicola. Um, I think Nathan Fielder too. Like I think his, I think where Nathan for you took that that form and that style of making stuff kind of brought it more into this okay like it's not the the artifice is kind of gone now and we're talking about real things i think for me though i was always interested in really blending the sincerity with the absurd and the ironic so that you don't always know what you're supposed to be if you are supposed to buy into an emotion that's being presented to you or not um that i think i will take credit for (laughs) Um, yeah i see it in the and the people's joker and also i love david um the series you did for channel five which was so lovely it was like one of my favorite things that ever came out of there um it was just uh it was was just thoughtful and funny and sincere and again everything you're talking about so i think they obviously letting you direct and write and do that with david it's like yeah you can't be cynical and mean about it you know with with something like david who also is amazing in your film thank you i want to talk about the people's joker it is incredible oh thank you i haven't seen anything like this and it seems like it's finding an audience can you talk a bit about the genesis of it and um kind of clue people in on it who haven't been following the story yeah absolutely so it honestly i mean kind of i love david's a perfect segue because i think making that show and working with david liebehart was kind of the earliest conception of of the idea because i i while i was making i love david i started transitioning i i started um hormone replacement therapy it was like the best period of my transition too because it was like when nobody really knew that I was transitioning so I just had all these beautiful like emotional sort of breakthroughs um 
and was making something that was very personal and very sincere and silly and fun with David. And I was kind of realizing how important comedy had been to figuring out who I was and because it was like a space where I could do drag or like make things that were like a lot gayer than I ever knew I even was. Mm -hmm. And like, I mean, like my art kind of knew that I was trans and and very queer uh, before I ever really could put the words to it. Um, But I also was realizing from, from making that show how comedy and irony had kind of limited me as as a human being as well like like the the sort of patterns and cycles that i got stuck in um sort of re-perpetuating like toxic my toxic family structure uh like with my comedy partners and my friends you know that would make like videos and stuff and david was such this like bizarre like yoda like figure (laughs) to me during that time and just a very like Cause he's a pure artist. He's just like a real punk dude. And like, right. uh, like I kind of realized like, okay, I need to make a movie and I need to make something about this. So like in end of 2019, I started writing something that was kind of about, it was like a sci-fi movie about a drag queen that was like addicted to irony somehow, like physically addicted to it. And uh, didn't really get too far with it it was definitely going to be a very different movie than the people's Joker ended up being. But um, flash forward a few months to like March, 2020 uh, Todd Phillips is in the news. Cause he's talking about how woke culture has gone too far uh-huh. and you can't be funny anymore, yeah. which is just so stupid. Like yep. everybody who has that opinion needs to fucking grow up. Cause like, I, I think I made one of the rudest uh, movies of all time and it doesn't offend anybody's sensibilities or identities. Uh, you can be uh, punk and funny and cool without hurting people's feelings. Anyway, yes. so he was saying those things and uh, my friend Brie LaRose uh, com- like basically said, like, I'm never going to watch this asshole's movie uh, <laughs> unless Vera Drew does a, a re-edit of it. So she commissioned a re-edit of Todd Phillips' Joker for $12. It's the first artistic commission I've ever gotten in my life. Hopefully the next one will be a little bit more money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's definitely, you know, it's like, it's a commission between friends. It's like, it's like this, you know, like in trading places or whatever, the old men making a bet for $1. Yeah. It's, it's, it's more just a formal, it's a tax write-off. But also it makes it real, Right. You're like, oh, I, yeah, I'm going no, to do exactly. this. Okay, you've commissioned me. This is real. I'll take your $12 and I'm going to do this. And I'm going to do it like th- like I'm going to, like I started doing it. Like I started re-editing the movie because it was, it was the timing of it too. Like I wasn't getting, I wasn't getting other artistic commissions, nor was I getting any paid work because alternative comedy was not considered essential work in 2020 so i was and that was also going to kind of be the year that i was hoping to start just more like focusing just kind of solely on directing and producing so it was kind of like okay here's this big thing that my friend just had this beautiful brainstorm idea of with me uh and here's something i can just pour all of myself into and that's what we did like we started making this kind of big 
experimental musical pop video art feature film that was me unpacking, you know, doing drag, doing comedy and sort of realizing I was trans being stuck in the closet and stuff. And then we kind of just quickly were like, let's just make it an actual movie. And, and then we did, um, you know, we, we started writing a script and it was around that time. I used to host a web series called hot topics with Vera drew, which is the only web series with the expressed uh, purpose of getting Vera drew sponsored by hot topic. Yes. Classic. And I never got sponsored. No. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I've got the whole synopsis. I've really gotten that part of talking about the hot topics down now. Uh, it just rolls out of my mouth. Um, But yeah, I was trying to get sponsored by Hot Topic by making this sort of web series. And I used that as sort of this platform to to announce to everybody, hey, I did all this stuff with Tim and Eric and have been around for a while. I want to use what I've learned to make a movie for the first time because I've wanted to do that my whole life. And it feels like the world is ending. So let's do it. Who wants to make a gay Batman movie with me? I remember uh, seeing you at, you know, an open call. For artists, um, you know, voiceover people, animators to collaborate on this. And I, I just thought that was amazing. Did you assign parts of the project to different people who had different skills? Were you surprised by what you got back? Because visually, this film, I, I know that we're going to talk about Pink Floyd's The Wall and its influence, and I can see it in your film, but oh, it you. does have such an intense and rich visual and emotional feel to it thank you yeah i mean it's 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 strange because like when i watch it now like i'm i i don't quite understand how it functions as a film like i'm like how does how is this possible that this works like how did somebody with a brain as messy as mine (laughs) do like help bring this to life and i think it's just like you know when I put that call out for people, I was really only expecting like maybe 10 or 20 people to like respond. Okay. And it was, it was like 10 times that it was hundreds of people, animators, uh, actors, uh, other directors, other editors, a lot of editors, so many editors. Like it's kind of the only way I was actually ever able to make the movie was how many people wanted to work with me in in post-production, which was just like kind of cool and moving and kind of a gut check for me to be like, oh, okay, like, wow, okay, I made a body of work as an editor that a bunch of like really enthusiastic, mostly like film school age people and like people that are like also kind of just in that same place that I was at then trying to strike out on their own and branch out of like, working in commercials or working, you know, for whatever. Um, Everybody wanted to make a gay Batman movie with me. And it was also, it was artists from mediums outside of film and outside of television. Like I'd say the majority of the people that worked on the movie, like I'd say a handful of them will probably never work on a movie again. They, they didn't have the aspirations of making a movie. They just wanted to see this movie. Yes. And how talented all these people were. It was such a wide range of styles because we were still writing the script when this happened. It was all kind of always happening at once. Like we shot with an incomplete script. I was editing the movie with a script that was like 90% done. 
we were writing up until TIFF. I'm still writing the movie because I have to rewrite some of the music that's going to be in it. Right. Um, like, it's been a very organic and very, like, freeform collaborative process that definitely has driven me crazy. Um, but it really just comes down to, okay, here's, like, the group of people. Here's what they're capable of. Here's the styles they have. Where can they fit inside of this big, giant, colorful universe that we've kind of built? And that is like, like when Brie and I were writing the script, it was like, this is way too ambitious for a, a, somebody's first movie mm-hmm. and somebody's movie that they will not get a lot of money to make. Like, how are we going to make these fucking bat drones that are flying around the city? Right. How are like, how are we going to make Gotham City, especially when like in the script, it's written to be like Joel Schumacher's Gotham City, totally. like this big miniatures and neon shit like but we just had the talent pool and you know i basically would go go to individual artists and be like here's the work we have here's the sequences here's the scenes here's the moments or the set pieces or the motifs or whatever here's my ideas here's a couple of those ideas that we absolutely need to stick to and then everything else i want you to like just give me what you're thinking right now and and that was amazing because the movie kind of became the movie as we were making it rather than it being kind of stuck in this rigid stanley kubrick like auteur vision yeah um that i don't think i ever had for it i think i it was always supposed to be this very collaborative and communal thing because i've worked on stuff that that hasn't felt like that and i wanted it to be not only me kicking in the door for myself uh, and, and hopefully making more films and getting more directing and writing and producing work, but hopefully uh, that it could be that for other people as well. Yeah, no, it fits. The, it's it's it has a gelatinous feel at times, but it never feels undercooked or undervalued in terms of what you're trying to show, say, and, and um, resonate. It's a super emotional film. And, uh, you know, I, I saw again, I saw parallels in, in the wall uh, with, you know, the use of just the loneliness of a child. Um, but before we, I, I keep wanting to put the, the wall off because I have I have so, so much to ask about the, the people's choker. You know, at the beginning, it says, you know, the director believes in good faith that this is a fair use and a copyright act of 1976. Where where are you at right now? Because originally you had screenings set up at festivals and then you had to kind of pull back, correct? Correct. Yeah. We so we premiered it at, at TIFF at the Toronto International Film Festival uh right around this time last year, like uh, like uh September of uh twenty twenty one. Uh wait, twenty twenty three? Twenty twenty two. God, twenty one. Twenty because of this fucking movie. Uh like it's kept me just like I'm in this weird like 2020 blur. Um oh, yeah. But yeah, it was last year. Uh and the night before our premiere, we got a letter from Warner Brothers basically saying like they don't think the movie's a parody. They never sent us a cease and desist. They basically just sent us a letter to intimidate me and and to try to get me to to pull the movie from festivals. Um thankfully Toronto like like TIFF they went to bat for us. Like they were like, amazing. We're still going to premiere this movie. Like, like we're going to still show it. They negotiated, like they, we technically got permission from the head of Warner brothers in Canada. 
to screen the movie at at Toronto. So thankfully they went to bat for us and then you know, we had this screening. It was the best screening we've had of the movie. Every joke landed. People were dancing. It was fucking crazy. <laughs> like I like the the That's it was so just cool. the most trans people ever. Like I it was crazy. Like it was really awesome. And then the next day, the movie went viral because word got out about what had happened uh with Warner Brothers. So I initially off of that, I was going to just keep going because we had a whole festival run planned, but I decided to um, pull the movie uh, at that point for, for a couple reasons. The, the primary one being the movie wasn't done yet. The, the, the TIFF cut was a very fresh paint job. Okay. <laughs> um, it was, there were a lot of mistakes. There were a lot of glitches. I was finishing the movie five minutes before I got on the plane to go to Toronto to premiere it. So like it, it was, and I needed to stop and look around and see what had happened. Cause I was just not grounded. I was kind of lost and, and, and was like, yeah, needed to finish the movie. I needed to recast somebody. Uh, Lorne Michaels is a primary villain in yes. the people's Joker and uh, used to be voiced by, Sarah Squirm, who is now on SNL, so we had to replace her voice, and I'll let people fill in the gaps there. Yeah. Maybe someday we can all talk more about it. Uh, but we ended up casting Maria Bamford, uh, who yeah. does a phenomenal job, and Straight. I can't believe I got to work with her. And yeah. I'm writing something for her in my next movie right now, so hopefully Amazing. I get to do that again. So yeah, it it basically like I saw the TIFF what the TIFF fiasco is like an opportunity to kind of go like okay. So we know this movie is good and people like it and people are excited to see it. They're way more excited to see it now that Warner Brothers tried to bury it. Of course. Um, yeah. So let's make it a little bit better, a little tighter. And let's also like get a team together to make sure we're able to screen this. And, you know, about a year of talking with lawyers and uh, various distributors and financiers and stuff. It's been a real annoying year. Uh but uh, I, uh, I like, you know, I basically got to a position, uh, like I'd say, like in July, where it was like, okay, we're ready to screen. Like this movie is protected by copyright law. It there is a fair use defense for it. Every lawyer I've met is of the agreement is in agreement that this movie follows U.S. copyright law. So let's start doing it. We and we had another wonderful screening at Outfest in L.A. And that was our U.S. premiere. Um, and, you know, and before that, we had done a handful of secret screenings and test screenings and stuff that I was basically just doing to kind of keep the interest going and figure out what was working in the new cut and all that. Um, but that Outfest premiere was really special because we got to announce it. Right. Uh, and the primary sponsor of that festival is Warner Brothers Discovery. Ta-da! <laughs> So it was basically like, okay, we've all come full circle. We can do this. Right. Let's do this. And yeah, as far as where we're at now, we have a couple more festival uh, screenings. And I uh, I can't talk sure. too specifically about this, but I... And, and feel free to read way too much into this, all you Joker freaks. I, I'm pretty sure we have a distribution plan that is 
crystallizing and coming into place. And, and I think a lot more people, you know, I'd say in, in, you know, like maybe like five or six months, a lot more people will have the chance to see this movie in, in theaters. So uh, that's great. Oh, congrats. Thank you. I mean, what a long road. I, I, you know, I've always been obsessed with copyright law, like, <laughs> you know, bands like negative land or oh, even yeah. Eric Andre made that album that was just taking, you know, just, it's just flat out. This is all stuff, stolen stuff. <laughs> but it's like it, they're making their own stuff and they're commenting on culture and themselves. And I, I just hope that there might be a little bit more chance that this kind of work could happen. Of course, you want to be able to tell your story, but it's I think it was amazing to tell it through like the D.C. world, Thank you know, you. and I'm not even a comics person. No, I mean, this movie's for people like you. I mean, like, I it's, yeah. it's funny because I am a comics person. Like, I am hopelessly addicted to Batman. But the people that, I mean, like, I want, and I want all my comic book freaks to come out and see the movie too and, and love it and and be the ones in the audience that, like, notice all the Batman references with all the deep cuts and stuff. But, I could only imagine. And that was what was so crazy about Warner Brothers coming after us was, like, to me, it was, like, I'm literally introducing this genre to an audience that does not fucking see these movies. Like there, and, and like there, there are queer Marvel fans. There are queer DC comics fans, but like, I think the type of queer story we're telling the, the, the pain that's in it, how uh, like anarchist the movies politics are like those, those, the queer people that want to see art like that are not going to see these movies. <laughs> and to me, like, you know, like negative land, uh, was a, like negative land changed my life when I started yes. listening to them. Like they were, uh, and I discovered them after getting into like the Tim and Eric world and, and like working with them. But like when I found them, it, it, it like was like, like an eruption because it was just like, the most expansive and you know i had i had worked with everything is terrible at, at this up at, at that point but like had never seen anything that was so like collagey and like here it all is and like we can do this and like literally making an album like <laughs> about how they should be getting sued for how much music like there's and like making it so so yeah i mean like i wanted to make the movie version of that and and we got to and and we can i mean like that was i'm getting back into therapy because like i really do need i need to like process a lot of the pain that that resulted from tiff because it really was this thing of just like there was a lot of good and positive attention but seeing how many people were like you shouldn't do this you shouldn't quote unquote steal characters right. when that's not even what we did and I feel like a lot of those people that said that are the same people that are constantly talking about these things as our modern myths. And I'm like, if you're saying that these characters are our modern myths and you're also not saying you're not supporting the idea that modern myth belongs to the people and like myth is about coming of age, like myth belongs to working class people to understand why society is broken and how they fit into it and understand themselves if you're saying that and you don't support a movie like the people's joker like 
you are just like echoing propaganda for these like Marvel movies that are literally paid for by the U.S. military industrial complex. So yeah, I <laughs> I uh, I love Negative Land. Yeah, me too. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that was the first show I went to during the pandemic when I had a mask. It was like I'm going to see Negative Land as the first dip my toe into being in a public space again with people. And they were incredible. Still doing so much analog work on the fly. They've always just been like, well, sue us. You know, like we, we're on the right side of this yeah. thing. And they always are. They always get proved right. Totally. They've, they've been a, I, I have, uh, I have some of uh, Donald Joyce's remains actually oh, yeah. uh, in my home. When they, uh, when they were releasing and that. Like, Amazing. Yeah. And I used to not because I dated a few people that like they'd walk in my house and they'd see this like bag of ashes and then the note attached to it. And it's like it's connected to like a uh, um, which like a beta, not a beta max tape, uh, whatever. One of those tapes. Uh, and like it's it does like when people see it, it is unnerving because it's like, wait, so you have somebody you've never met remains in your house. And like I had it actually hidden away while I was like working on Joker. And then like at one of the various kind of scary copyright points, like found it in my storage and was like, I need this out. Like I need to see this yes. every fucking day of my life because these guys did it. They're still doing it. And like it's it's and you can and I can and and uh I shouldn't be intimidated by somebody like David Zaslov because it's clear he just yep. has a big humiliation fetish. Indeed. <laughs> and his beat goes on. Oh my God. Well, when I when I reached out to you about the show, you came back and you said, I would love to talk about Pink Floyd the Wall. It was a big uh influence on the film. I hadn't seen it since I was a kid. I mean, this was on cable TV all the time. A very unhealthy film to see as a 12-year-old and not have the tools oh. to understand like, oh, skinheads and, you know, uh, Thatcher's world and a dad who's died. You know, you mentioned pain in, in your film and, and there is a lot of pain in The Wall. What made you say The Wall? It kind of ties nicely into that, that era I was describing of working on... Um... I love David. I I became really good friends with an artist named Ember Knight, uh, who everybody should check out. Uh, Ember has an orchestra, uh, is an amazing comedian, hosts a show called The Ember Knight Show, um, and made a movie called King of L.A. that's phenomenal. Uh, Ember and I would have these like kind of long conversations about how art in its purest form should be for 15-year-old boys or 15-year-old girls. And that is what <laughs> determines culture. And it comes in these kind of waves of like 30-year periods. We like developed a whole theory around it. And it really revolved around Pink Floyd and My Chemical Romance. Wow. <laughs> and like, it was, it was a very like formative time for me because it was basically like realizing like, I don't know. I had gotten so irony pilled that I had forgotten how much of like a musical theater, like weirdo nerd I was for concert movies, for Pink Floyd, for emo. And like, as I was starting to really become myself and become authentic in my art, um, Pink Floyd came back in a really big, bad way. 
and I think like I don't know because like I hadn't seen this in in a few years. I watch it. I try to watch it every couple years because it it changes every time I watch it. Like for me, yeah. Um, and and that's been very consistent. And I go through periods too in my life where I'm like, I fucking hate this movie. Like it's so uneven. It's so the middle drags. Yes. The end is beautiful, but is so abbreviated. And those are even criticisms that I give when I enjoy it. But um, you know, I think rewatching it this time, I was like, okay, there's that first five minutes. First, we hear the little boy that Santa Claus forgot by Vera Lynn, and then we see this like hotel room, and then we're suddenly in World War II or when the Tigers Broke Free starts playing. Yep. And I remember watching it as a kid and going like, wait, this isn't on the album. What is happening? It's like, and it was kind of this thing too of like. But it still feels like the album. And like, I remember having the experience as a child of watching this because I was also way too young, too, uh, when I saw this. I was probably about like 13 or 14, I think, because it was right around the time I got into Pink Floyd. It was like an electrical storm of my brain of realizing like, oh, this whole thing is like a fairy tale about war and childhood and television and husbands and wives and like dead fathers and narcissistic mothers and their effeminate sons (laughs) And, like, the whole, like, it it just, I think, like, when kind of realizing what Brie and I were doing with People's Joker, it was like, oh, I, we're making kind of, like, a, a the wall, but, for like, kind of backwards. Uh, and, like, uh, it's, it was always going to feel kind of, like, I wanted it to feel like this, like, kind of book-ended lyrical tone poem that that the movie is like it it feels very much like yeah it's it's it, i don't know it's it's so weird because it's like and i think this is why it changes for me every time i watch it cuz like i listen to pink floyd uh, like constantly so the album has grown with me a lot over the years and when i watch it now i'm like it's it's not a perfect movie it's a very uneven and kind of broken movie and you can kind of tell that everybody that made it fucking hated each other oh yeah yeah, Alan Parker says it was the uh, was the most expensive student project I've ever worked on. I mean, Roger Waters is coming in. He's never written a script before. He, they walk off the set a bunch of times. And again, you're right. The, the, the beginning of the film is such... And, and same with your film. You're, you're setting the stage for what's about to happen. And if you're... I just yeah. think about a Pink Floyd fan going to the cinema to go see this and... There's no music from the album till almost six minutes. There's like a minute 30 of a tracking shot down a hotel yeah. hallway that's very Kubrick-esque or whatever you want to say. But it's really already like, get ready, you know, because you're you're going to, this is going to be very unusual for your typical teenage movie goer who was there to be like, the wall, I know this album, I, I you know, but have you really thought about the album on that level it like it it is it is almost more about the album than the album itself since like the movie is just about the movie does just seem to be about all these guys getting divorces (laughs) and all these guys like kind of like really grappling with basically like being just the biggest band in the world right and like I don't know, like watching it this time, I was like, oh my God, these guys fucking hate punk music so much. Like they hate punks. It's like, it feels like it's about 
kind of like, yeah, oh, cool. You guys are all angry and you're all anti-war. You're all anti-everything. Like, yeah, well, we were fucking making music like 30 years ago with a guy who currently is like literally insane. And like, we've been doing this forever and they're very fucking angry about it. And like, they are fucking with Pink Floyd fans. It's like the, the, the Twin Peaks of the return to Pink Floyd's The Wall, the album okay. or something where it really it forces you to deconstruct it as you're watching it. And it's really uncomfortable to kind of do, especially yes. if it if you do love this music and in kind of this like blinded way. Are there parallels between the People's Joker and The Wall thematically? Yeah, I mean, I think that's more so than any of the other influence, because there were a lot of influences on the people's Joker that, that weren't comic book movies. Um, and like, I think, but I think the main one that was on a thematic and story level was the, the was this, because I've been writing scripts since I was a kid. And like, I've written so many movies that start, like the people's joker starts and like the people's joker starts with a television set you're slowly pushing in on it you're kind of cycling through the news and like the media landscape and this like fucked up version of the dcu and um and then it cuts to like a television show being produced and this like big like protests happening outside and police and violence and like kind of just like society collapsing all around this, like one person having like kind of an identity crisis. And like, it's, it's uh yeah, it was, it was always kind of in the DNA of the project. And I think the animation itself too was just aesthetically something that I think I've been kind of, in the last couple years have started because like I've always I've been animating since college like I because it's like it's animating is the hardest form of filmmaking and animators are the most unsung heroes ever and like but it also it's it's the only version of filmmaking where you if you are animating on your own you get to like really have your own singular vision it can look as close to your inside of your head as possible and the way the animation's used in this movie with like all the morphs and yes. it it kind of goes back to to that like thing I was talking about with my friend Ember where it's like it's so heavy-handed like there's this there's this part where like the mother character is flying in like an animated version of her is flying in as a plane and then she is screaming her son's name she morphs into a flying vagina that swallows him up and then that flying vagina morphs into a mother cradling her baby and then that morphs into the wall unraveling and the adult man is there and it's like it's the most beat you over the head absolutely like obtuse filmmaking you will ever see in your life and it and that's why it works and like i think it's that was a big thing too for the the movie like both thematic and then that kind of like heavy-handed on the nose and and I don't know, like the People's Joker is really about somebody's inner child kind of being healed. And like, I think like there's a very complicated mom story in, in the movie. Like I, I really wanted to make something that was an accurate portrayal of like trans daughters and, and you know, my generation of trans daughters and their moms and, and, and kind of what it was like growing up in the Midwest during like Bush era politics and, and all that stuff. Um, I mean, that's why 
that like I got into Pink Floyd when I was a kid was because I was like, oh my God, like everything sucks and my mom is mean. <laughs> <laughs> like it's then like, I don't know, like seeing this movie then as a child, it was like, it was the first mixed move media movie that I saw that wasn't Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Right. And it was like, oh, you can use these powers for evil too. <laughs> you can like really like talk about these heavy things and like be an artistic adult and make like a serious version of Roger Rabbit and Bob Hoskins is in this as well. <laughs> like it's uh it really yeah, was an expansive moment for me watching this. The scenes in your film with you know the child and the mother were really incredible and I was kind of amazed to watch the wall recently again and I had forgotten how long the child sequences are in that film. Yeah. It's Bob Goldoff doesn't grow up for a long time to be pink. Had you had any experience with directing kids before? Because the actor, I don't know the actor's name in the film, but they were, they were incredible. Thank you. His name is Griffin Kramer. And I had never, I had worked with an actor. I had worked with a child actor once and it was on beef house, uh, which I <laughs> produced and did some directing on. And that, was that was a Sorry. a very big learning experience sure. working with that boy <laughs> um and uh and he was very good too like like the i i i think his name was canon uh the the kid from beef house um that's such a good child actor name canon oh he and you know like <laughs> i i hope his parents aren't listening but the most child actor family i've ever met in my life like it was some of the funniest conversations I had on set were with Cannon's mom. And uh and Cannon is like a pro. Like mm -hmm. Cannon is a real actor and like gave different reads for every line, like really brought stuff to the table and then but also like is a kid. Yeah. And like I kind of had the experience of seeing like you don't you don't have like when you're working on set with a kid you don't have a lot of time. You have like maybe four hours of actual real work time just, and I don't even mean just because of like union rules and like ethics and stuff. It's just like kids are kids. Like they do not have an eight hour or let alone a 12 hour work day into them. Right. In them. Like, so having that experience with like kind of a seasoned child actor, I went into the people's joker knowing, okay, I've got to storyboard every single shot of this kid. Like I can't spend any time figuring out shots on set. Like we need to be ready to go when he's there. And, um, and thank God, you know, cause Griffin, Griffin came on board the, like literally three days before we were supposed to shoot. We had wow. somebody else, uh, cast, but his dad went fucking nuts with COVID, like with, with the COVID oh, stuff shit. and like packed up the family and left without telling us. And it was like kind of this thing of like, well, I can't even be mad at this person because it's just like, like, I totally get it. Like I'm making a movie during pre-vax COVID and asking him to bring his son to come hang out in yeah. a warehouse in Glendale with come a bunch on. of like fucking ex-addict <laughs> artists and shit. Like, I mean, so like, it like in Griffin, I don't even remember how we found him, but it was just like he was perfect. And, you know, there were there was a lot that he was able to do and a lot that I was just like, 
you know, let's just see what he can do and kind of keep our expectations low. We had a lot more childhood stuff written uh, that was going to be in the movie. The movie was going to, I think, kind of structurally be a little bit more like the wall in that way. Okay. Um, but we kind of ended up abandoning it just because we didn't get all the footage. And it was also at a certain point, And I think it's part of why this movie doesn't work. Um, is like, it's like, you want to see this main character heal this part and like not spend so much time just kind of looking at a sad doughy eyed boy, uh, getting yelled at and controlled by his parents. <laughs> were there any other films, music things that were just, as I'm making this, I'm seeing it, I'm feeling it. This is what I would like to aspire to. This is what I'd like to have, you know, seep into the people's choker. Uh, well, honestly, the, the mother sequence in this, in Pink Floyd's the wall I think, and this was another thing that I didn't really realize until this watch. Um, you know, we use currently the there is a cover of of Mother in in the People's Joker, right. uh, performed and recorded by an artist named the Blue Iris, who's amazing, and everybody should check out. I don't know if that's going to be in the final version or if it'll be a parody version of it or what. Mm -hmm. But like we current we use the the version that's in the movie right now is lyrically the same as is this version of, of mother that's in, that's in Pink Floyd's the wall. And like, it's because to, to me, it's always, it's the superior, more superior version. It's a little slower. There's the part where he says like, mother, am I really dying? Which is like, just truer to what like Roger Waters like went through and Sid. Right. Um, and uh, like, it also like, I think seeing the movie, seeing kind of time collapse on itself at that point in the movie where it's like, it's about, it's a song about his mother, but it's also him discovering sexuality as a boy and becoming, and being a peeping Tom and like meeting his wife, having, does he get married? Yeah. Yeah. And like, it's, it's and and like, we also watch him get, watch the marriage dissolve yes. <laughs> all in the same like music video and right. it's like whoa okay like it's so intense it's so like i don't know so i think like that sequence in general i don't know that it necessarily specifically influenced the what were you you how we're using mother and the people's joker but just the people's joker as a whole of like how fluid time is and stuff like it goes back to like what we were talking about earlier with this movie like the way it connects its visual motifs and it does it in a way that is not concerned with narrative structure at all right. at fucking all like that to me is if you can do that as a filmmaker, even if you kind of fail while you're doing it, um, you're like, you're making magic. So yeah, I think like that was a big thing. Also uh, the movie return to Oz was a huge influence on the people's okay. Joker just cause like, I love that movie and it's, it, I love the wizard of Oz. It's like cool that there's like a movie that's a sequel to the wizard of Oz, but also a deconstruction of the wizard of Oz. And then, yeah, I think the other kind of music stuff is just like, it's again, like that Ember thing of like emo, it emo music and pink Floyd is the same thing. <laughs> it's just, I don't know how to describe it. It's like, it's, it, it's very like, in like I mean I don't want to completely reduce it to this, but it's it's very lesbian. It's like very there's like a lesbian like longing and anger and like 
this putting romance on a pedestal, but also being like, fuck romance. And like, right. it's, it's just, um, yeah, I think all that's kind of, kind of in there. Sid is still all over this yeah. thing, you know, like Bob Geldof is pink is shaving his eyebrows, just like Sid did. And, you know, when that part during the trial is like crazy, well, they still can't get away from it. No, uh, like up until about a year ago, it's been it was always very hard for me to listen to Sid Barrett era Pink Floyd because because of this movie and because of like, I think how Roger and David talked about him a lot, like in the 90s and 80s, like it's just such a crazy kind of. I, I, I always it always felt like to me like this very kind of crazy tragic thing and now I go back I'm like I'm totally healed on that now though like I can listen to Sid Barrett and like yeah. really have a good time and like it's funny to me too because like lyrically he's so different than every his lyrics are different than any other artists but especially Roger Waters <laughs> and like I think like I know having Roger like try to talk about it it's just so I don't know I get a lot out of it now like watching it like like how how much they actually love Sid and how much like it it was a, it was a, it was a real tragedy for them like erupting as this band yes, and then watching their friend just kind of fucking deteriorate they never turned away from him and it's in all every single album. You know, he's he's still on it in some capacity. The film is also interesting because Alan Parker, you know, at times it's like, is this a Pink Floyd movie or is this a British Ken Loach, you know, Mike Lee, Alan Parker experience? It just the tone shifts a lot where you're like, oh, this this is really a heavy British drama all of a sudden. <laughs> The child on the playground getting left behind, wanting to take the the dad's hand and go home, and and all the time looking through his dad's you know um, uniform that he finds and puts it on. It's definitely not playing into anything in American culture oh, um, at all. No, you know I just talked recently to Paul Hanley of the Fall. We we were talking about the Clash's Rude Boy, and there's all this footage of the National Front in it just being out on the street, just being full on racist in numbers. And that, you know, as a kid, I didn't know, you know, what was going on, you know, during Thatcher's, you know, Britain, the National Front and how how big it was. You know, watching this again recently, I was just kind of shocked at how much like the neo-Nazi element was a big part of it. It's it's fucked up. It's really heavy it's really a hard part of the yeah. film and a large part of the film it's it's yeah like the whole third act is just and if you don't i i i give anything to watch this movie with somebody who's never listened to pink floyd's the wall because like to me it's like when it would get to that point it'd be like what would you think the politics of this movie are because like it really is just kind of showing it's just showing it in a way that's not, it doesn't feel like it's glorifying it, but it also doesn't feel like it's overtly condemning it. It's just like, yes, here's where the world's at. And like, I don't know, like I get, I get why Pink Floyd meant so much to me at like 13 through 15. Cause like, you know, I'm, I'm a trans woman. 
so I had an early, I had an angry young man face. And like, I think this movie is kind of about that. It's like about like, what do you do with that anger of the expectations of this like entire generation of people who went through World War II? And like, apparently it's the war to end all wars. And then you're watching people be violent. You're being told like, you got to, be puritanical no sex before marriage boys are boys girls are girls and like you're also awkwardly discovering your sexuality awkwardly figuring out how much of that like puritanical shit is just fucking bullshit and like it's it's kind of you can go down a lot of different roads when you're confronting that anger and one of them is unfortunately like you can be radicalized as like a really hateful nationalist and it's like I, I kept thinking like on this watch watching it like just how like like I I feel like like cis men are in the middle of some sort of like sexual revolution and they don't even realize it just by how much um people like Jordan Peterson and like uh these kind of like guru life advice guys that are all grifters uh but like <laughs> I understand why it's, it's like appealing to these men who like are basically living in a world where they they are they are also disaffected like everybody is miserable and suffering and poor and like being used so like they're trying to find some philosophical tenets that they can cling to and if somebody's presenting you know like Jordan Peterson like all of his stuff is just like it's like all Marianne Williamson shadow work but like he just made it about like why you should be able to like hit on your TA and like it's 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 all kind of useful advice but it's being used to embody and embolden patriarchy and like I can't wait till men have like a real um channel for the kind of anger that's in this movie you know because not everybody can be Roger Waters and and right. make this album like thank god Roger <laughs> Waters can make music like so that he doesn't I mean, he, you know, he's talking about politics all the time. But imagine how politically dangerous that mind would be if he wasn't a creative. Hear me out. What about Jordan Peterson's The Wall? Oh, that I mean, that is a that you want to talk about electrical storm in my brain. <laughs> it might be my next movie. Right, there you go. There you go. All I want is twelve dollars. Um <laughs> yeah, it was funny. I was watching this documentary that was made at the time when they were shooting it. Really weird film, like trying to, you know, share with people what this film is going to be. And the narrator says, the themes and symbols employed in Pink Floyd's The Wall are rich and complex. Very careful control was needed at all times to be able to express these ideas clearly. And I'm like, okay, I don't know if they were, but... Yeah. It's just yeah. like, it's so funny that they're like, okay, everybody, this film is going to contain sensitive material and things that you won't normally see in films. I'm just curious. I just think the film is, I, I, I don't know. It's, it's just, I think it's hard to take something like The Wall, the album, which is so, you just, you're, you're, you're taking what you need from it. You take what Hey You needs to be about. You take what Mother needs to yeah. be about and you apply it to yourself. And in the movie, you're like, oh, okay, I, I guess I was wrong. This is what it's really about for the person who actually created it. I don't know. Maybe it fail is the, a hard word to say on it. 
Um, but it just, it is a different experience to like, you know, see it over the years and just, I mean, when I had the video store, I, this film never went out. It was so funny. People were just over it. They'd seen it. They'd lived it. They were like, I do not want to watch the wall. And I had some of the weirdest, most transgressive, weirdest, interesting stuff in the, in the world at that store. And people were like, I'm going to watch the Henry Rollins, Lydia lunch, you know, Richard Kern thing. Um, But the wall, forget it. You're like, all right. It's, you know, it's, it's interesting because, like, like I remember my guitar teacher. Because when I was getting into Pink Floyd, I was also learning how to play guitar. Uh, and, like, my guitar teacher was a huge Pink Floyd fan. He helped me tab out, like, all of, all of, uh, pretty much all of both, both discs of the wall. And, like, wow. I remember when we finished, like, I went back and I was like, so now I'm going to watch the movie. And he was like, you should not watch the movie. And I was like, why? And he's like, you just should not watch the movie. It'll ruin all of the imagery in your head right. with this album. And like, for me, it was like, it was this moment where like, I kind of realized like, I don't know if I consume music in a way where something like that could be ruined for me. Like, I just don't know because like, I think the it's like you're saying, like the feelings that came from just listening to the album and like the things that I was resonating with, like, they weren't really clouded by like specificity or like, and like, I think getting into Pink Floyd, I also really got into the history of Pink Floyd as I was like consuming it and like reading about like Roger and his dad and like, you know, listening to them talk about Sid and stuff and interviews. It was like, to me, it was like, this is part of the experience of understanding this art and why it's it's so important and central to me. And like, I remember, so I didn't listen to my guitar teacher because um, he also said that he had never seen it all the way through. So I was like, can oh, I really lame. trust this guy? Yeah. Yeah. No. Like, I mean, come on. So I I went home and I uh, this was before Torrance. I mean, I'm sure Torrance existed, but I, I, I downloaded it on something called uh Kazaa and I uh I watched it and my reaction was like this is the most mid movie I've ever seen like like the on that first watch it was just like what like this is what my guitar teacher was like threatened by and then like and then I just kept rewatching it I would watch it like I watched kind of, it so much so much yeah it was I I probably seen this movie more than most movies I think the only other movie I've seen more is probably back to the future but that's just because like i watched it every day from the time i was like one years old to like eight so i'll never beat that but like this was always on in like it was such a gradual process of like i think it kind of resonating with me like in that same way that the album did the first time but it, it really never ruined anything for me like i i can still listen to the album and I don't see this movie in my head when I'm listening to no, it. No, me either. I just am feeling what I'm feeling. And yeah. it's like, it's like, this is just a different thing. Yeah. It, now, if you could create a new sequence for Pink Floyd, The Wall, what would you, is there oh, something wow. you would want to put in? I, okay. I'm not going to answer that question. <laughs> but instead... <laughs> I'm sorry. That's no, great. I'm such I have such ADHD and I am such a fucking uh like 
asshole Q&A person now at this point. Uh, but I, I, I only do this because, like, I, when I saw this movie as a kid, I was like, okay, and now I will make my, I will make a movie version of the final cut that will be oh, wow. a sequel to The Wall and a more and and like be like kind of uh, a thing like i i really that's amazing uh i love the final cut as an album and and i did too it's so um it's so funny it's another thing of like i can't imagine as a pink floyd fan going to that album with any expectation that it's going to be a follow up to the wall i'm glad i didn't have that when i went in cuz it was just like it was just that thing of like Oh, this is just like a weird, beautiful fairy tale about loss and and kind of yeah, understanding yourself through loss and how that isn't that useful as an artist up until a certain point. Um, so yeah, I think I would want to make a final cut movie. And so, Roger, if you're listening, hit me up <laughs> and let me use Mother and the People's Joker. <laughs> I think yeah, I would love to see either Jordan Peterson's The Wall or the Final Cut movie. I think I think both those I think you and Roger Waters could have a pretty good thing going. I I I smell a lot of money too, you know. I just Oh, <laughs> sure. If only if only for the hate watching that would result from, exactly. from Vera Drew's The Final Cut. I mean like it's cuz it's still like I'm on I'm on a text thread that is just a Pink Floyd chat. Uh, and it's me and uh, just a bunch of men, of course. Um, but I, I uh, like, I'm the only one in that chat that is a Roger Waters apologist. Everybody else is a very big David Gilmore fan, right? And um, I, it's it's been, but it's been good for all of us because I think I've really helped them all realize, like, no, like part of appreciating Roger is that like he's he's Roger. Yeah, he's kind of like he's very obtuse and he's very like he's very emotional and it's like very intense and like and dark and like sad and 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 like sometimes it is so much that that it's silly but that's part of it that's part of enjoying it and they've taught me that like yeah like david david's penis is his guitar and <laughs> that is that is what and that is why his it sounds that way and and I love him now. David's not going to write the trial. You know, that's not no. like I, David's not going to walk in and be like, hey, I have an idea for how we can wrap this up. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah it's at this point, it's the Roger Waters show. It's like, just tell me what guitar. Tell me where I need to do the solo, Roger. Tell me exactly. like, if, OK, this song doesn't have a solo. OK, I'm done. Great. I'll go home. And I'll hang out with my wife. But yeah, but yeah. I remember the album when it came out was also the most ambitious thing I'd ever heard in my young life. I just was like, there is a lot to unpack and, you know, a lot to be creeped out by and a lot to uh, be haunted by and a lot to get excited by. Have you seen him live do The Wall in the last few years? I haven't. I have I'm hoping I can make it ha happen at some point because yeah. it's it's been a life dream, but it's it's just yeah. never it's never worked out. And you know, I'm I'm especially bummed because I mean, the real life dream would have been just to see them all play together again. I, it happened a few years ago, but like I know that's probably never going to happen again now, yeah. just because like they both seem to like David and Roger. You know, it's it's really it's. God, I love this band so much. It's like it's like really 
like I'm so glad we're having this conversation because it it just is always so nice for me to talk about Pink Floyd because it they mean so much to me and like I I can't think of any other band that has as fraught of like a relationship and as confusing of a body of work like and and like who owns the music and like you oh know like God. Roger just did his own version of dark side of the moon that has some pretty interesting stuff on it and like it's it's so like it's kind of hard being a pink floyd fan because an aspect of it is you kind of have to acknowledge that these people all do not get along and there's a lot of loss and there's a lot of like it, it it's a toxic workplace um every album was a toxic workplace the wall probably the most toxic like the final cut was more like it was more so just Roger making a Roger Waters album, but with Pink Floyd production, which is why it's amazing. But like you can feel how fraught that is. And it's um, I think what's so fascinating about it to me is like I've worked on stuff. I've worked on hell shows, you know, like I, I edited a, sh- a show for ABC Freeform that was like one of the worst ex- job experiences I've ever had. Everybody on it was a nightmare. Mm-hmm. Like I got just called names on that show and you watch the show and I feel like you can tell that the people making it did not get along and like it's just not made with love and like the and but with Pink Floyd it's like it's made with love and it's made with these very fraught kind of almost like sibling level uh fractured relationships and there's so much pain there. It's just, it's just so beautiful. Yeah. Like a, as an artist, I, I just, it, it, it endlessly inspires me. Usually in a relationship like that, you would think that people would check out artistically, but all the people playing on it are still bringing it. And I think that's what is, makes those Pink Floyd albums kind of, like you said, they're, they are going through a lot as people yeah. with each other, but, you know, when Dave Gilmore has to step up and sing something that Roger's written, it's like you believe it. Yeah. And it's it's like it it's like there is a guy named Pink Floyd. Totally. It's like there is a singular guy named Pink Floyd, but he is he and he is sometimes he's sometimes he's like these three guys, and then sometimes he's like these four guys, and then sometimes he's just David and his wife writing stuff. Like right. I think that's been the thing because I was never into like post Roger Floyd. I always thought it was really cheesy and I've gotten into it more so now, but very much through this lens of like, it's David like unpacking years (laughs) of trauma and like working and like, I don't know. There's just so much, there's a lot of beautiful stuff in there where it's like, Oh, he's singing about Roger and he's singing about like, about what you just said, where it's like everybody doing their best and kind of like, I guess, trying to sh- like show up each other or something yeah. like it's it's a very like kind of machismo, like intense, like be the best thing. And now like being in this place where he's just like, yeah, like I don't need that anymore. Like, let's just fucking play some like guitar and like, yeah. I don't know. It's it's really it's really uh, what a band. Yeah, I know. I know. And maybe someday we'll get a biopic, too, or it'll be like, like David, an actor playing David yeah. Gilmore. Going like 
Roger, I just don't like disco music. I don't understand this brick in the wall thing. What are we doing? <laughs> so I, I, because I just don't think I've ever actually even talked about how I like ended up with the name Vera. Like it is because of Pink Floyd. Like oh, wow. I chose the name Vera uh, when I changed my name. I think partially because of how it's used in this album, like and in the movie, like. I think and and knowing who Vera Lynn was and who she was to this like entire generation of like boys being sent to go fucking kill people like it it was like I don't know it just like was this symbol of me for me like of like what like art and expression and like kind of truth could be and I had the experience I had a really rough um visit from my parents uh, a few years ago, like right after I came out and kind of got to this place where it was just like, yeah, we just can't hang out anymore. Like, it's just, I need a break. Like, it doesn't have to be forever, but I need a break. And I was driving them back to the airport and uh, we were all just kind of pissed off at each other. And then uh, We'll Meet Again by Vera Lynn came on uh, like my Spotify shuffle. And it was just this moment of like kind of realizing all that shit that I just said and like kind of being like, okay, this is, this is my name. Like, this is going to be my name. And, uh, it, uh, I don't know. It's fun. It's fun having a name that is just mostly an old lady name because like, I'll introduce myself to people and then they'll be like, Oh, that's like my aunt's name or like, Oh, that's the weird lady that lives next door to me. And I'm like, yeah, (laughs) <laughs> that I'm Herb. <laughs> My grandparents were Vey and Vern. So oh. there you go. I totally. Old. We don't have enough V names anymore. Like, gotta no, bring, bring back it back. The, the... Come on. Yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> but this has been amazing, Vera. And I'm just so glad to, to finally get to talk to you. The, the film's incredible. And I'm so glad it's going to get a wider release. I think it's going to blow people's mind. And I can't wait to see where you end up next because everything, it's just been really great to watch uh where you started and where you're at now so congratulations so thank you it means a lot and and thank you like this was so fun to talk about this stuff so at the end of every interview i ask the same question but i tailor it to the film we're talking about so i'm going to do a little differently today in terms of the numbers on a scale from one to two billion with one being the lowest and two billion being the highest how many bricks in the wall do you give this film? <laughs> oh God. <laughs> um, I mean, it's like it's like five billion because this movie is just. I think that's why this movie doesn't function well as a movie is because, like, by the end of listening to Pink Floyd's "The Wall" as the as an album, I feel like I can see the sunlight and I can basically be like cool, we all are going to break these cycles that keep us separate from other people. When I watch this movie, it's more so like, no, you can, ne- there's there's always another brick. And uh, <laughs> it ends with a child emptying out a Molotov cocktail, you know, and then it's, it's just like credits. So, it's so yeah. bleak. It's the most bleak. It's so, yeah, like it was so, uh, and I don't know, like watching it today, I was just like, it's kind of cloudy in LA. Like it's, it's, I've had a, I've had a pretty like busy couple weeks here. It was like, 
it like I felt I felt that this time I was like yeah there's always another brick but like it's still uh it's there's still hope it's like yeah there's just always work to do it's like why we're here um and we'll we'll hopefully be able to rest someday (laughs) well you're right that was the exact number of bricks in the wall you were absolutely nailed it so that's what i have written down here so congratulations (laughs) thank you (laughs) well thank you so much vera so good to see you yeah so good to see you nice to meet you can i plug something real quick absolutely go for it yeah be on the lookout for the people's joker uh like follow me on vera drew 22 on uh twitter and instagram and stuff like that's the best way to stay posted on that but i'm also i want to plug this thing i'm doing uh with this collective called weird weekend uh and it's a program called unsee and they basically uh commissioned for me an hour of content that we are only going to play twice and uh because of that uh it is going to be very graphic uh very uh intense and very uh copyright bend the rulesy uh what we are going to be playing in this program uh so if any of that is of interest uh you can check it out uh on october 28th in the uk it'll stream once there on october 28th in the uk and then once on november 4th uh for the us and other territories and if you can't get it from either of those places just download a vpn and you'll be able to probably check it out. But yeah, I just wanted to throw that out there. That's great. Bring on the intensity. Bring it in. Oh, yeah. Also, um, <laughs> I will put that information in the show notes, too. So people oh, will be able to go, go right there to it. Well, thank you again. Cool. Thanks, Chris. So fun. Thank you for listening to Revolutions Per Movie. We release new episodes every Thursday. So be sure to search for the show on your favorite podcast app and subscribe to the show. And if you've enjoyed this, it would mean a lot to me if you would rate and review it as well. You can follow us on social media at Revolutions Per Movie and also find out more information about our various guests in the episode show notes. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week. Bye!